You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Researchers name the unnamed country that attempted to hack Israeli targets. Other researchers conclude Shamoon is still under the same management. Talis takes a look at data security in the U.S. federal sector. A financial malware vector startles phishing victims into clicking. Vigilante botnets are not helping the IoT. Countermessaging is still not as easy as it looks. And there's a lot of thinly sourced hope about hacking North Korean missiles. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 28, 2017. An unnamed country behind a recent cyber campaign against Israeli targets has been named. Research by Morphosec, confirmed by iSight Partners, points to Oil Rig, also known as Helix Kitten, and Iranian threat actor. Israel's National Cyber Defense Authority says the attacks were blocked. The attacks sought to exploit a known and patched vulnerability in Microsoft Word, CVE 2017-0199. Israel's National Cyber Defense Authority has been operating officially for a year, since April 2016. It's recently become controversial in a dispute over agency equities. Security officials from Shin Bet, Mossad, and elsewhere in the IDF have expressed concern that pending legislation involving the National Cyber Defense Authority leave its charter too vague and open to the possibility of mutual interference by organizations working in the same space. McAfee researchers conclude that recent Shamoon attacks were conducted by the same group that first mounted them in 2012. And that group, too, is generally believed to be working on behalf of Iran's government. Shamoon's principal targets have been Iranian regional rivals, especially Saudi Arabia. To review, Shamoon emerged in 2012 with a destructive wiper attack on the networks of oil producer Saudi Aramco. It resurfaced in late 2016 with attacks on other Saudi targets. Shamoon is particularly interesting in that it has a clearly destructive and disruptive purpose. It's not conducting espionage, nor is it working any sort of information campaign. Recovery from successfully executed Shamoon attacks has proven both costly and time-consuming. Brickerbot is another destructive campaign, but this one is different in that it appears to be the work of a vigilante. Brickerbot's code searches for Internet of Things devices susceptible to infection by the Mirai botnet. Once it locates such a device, it preemptively and permanently bricks them, hence its name. Brickerbot, whatever its author's professed intentions, has not been well received by the security community, nor obviously by its victims. Sierra Tell, a California internet service provider, was disrupted earlier this month by the competition between Brickerbot and Mirai for vulnerable devices, in this case high-speed modems. Sierra Tell, which has received generally positive reviews for its transparency with customers concerning the incident, says it had cleared up the problem by April 22nd. Brickerbot's presumed author, who's known by his screen name Janitor, claimed credit for the service disruption in a communication with Bleeping Computer. The other vigilante strain of IoT malware, the less destructive but still irritating Hajime botnet, is worrying security experts as its herd of bots grows. Hajime is now believed to have roped in some 300,000 devices. Researchers at security firm Forcepoint have identified a new variant of Geodo Emotet banking malware pursuing targets in the UK. The vector is an email that appears to be a legitimate billing request. 
It asks for payment of an abnormally large amount, and of course, surprised and alarmed recipients are quick to click, and then the crooks have them pwned. Government counter-messaging programs, information operations designed to combat ISIS, draw tepid reviews even as lethal strikes have an increasingly clear effect on the caliphate. Facebook publishes a study of information operations that draws some useful distinctions and offers operators some insights into this difficult art. The U.S. administration again refuses to say whether it hacked North Korean missile tests. Some in the media, particularly in the U.K., take this as an admission that the U.S. did indeed hack them, so speculation proceeds apace, especially among those unfamiliar with the many ways missiles fail. This strikes the steely-eyed missile men on our staff as wishful thinking, for some reason concentrated in the U.K. Sure, who in the civilized world wouldn't like Pyongyang's long-range nuclear strike capability to be hackable at need? But don't get your hopes up, kids. Rockets and missiles fail all the time for reasons completely unrelated to hacking. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, uh, I saw a couple of sort of conflicting articles come by recently. One was a a demonstration that Samsung was doing uh, with uh, new 5G technology. And then a few days later, I saw an article that said that uh, 5G is a ways off. You know, basically, don't hold your breath. What's the real status here? 
5G technology has become synonymous with millimeter wave technology. And, and millimeter wave technology is essentially moving uh, the frequencies at which your cell phone communicates to the cell tower up to much higher bands. So in particular, um, 28 gigahertz is what many of these trials are, are testing out right now. Um, the FCC recently uh, approved a number of new frequency bands for 5G uh, in the millimeter wave band, and they range from 28 gigahertz all the way up to 73 gigahertz. Um, so many of these companies that are advertising these 5G trials are really just testing out millimeter wave technology in some of these 5G bands or band, bands that the FCC has designated as 5G. If you actually look at the progress that's being made in the standards group, uh, in particular 3GPP, which is the organization that's responsible for defining the standards for cellular communications, uh, they still have a lot of work to do, uh, as, as you mentioned. Um, there are uh, currently efforts to uh, define the requirements and, and begin to establishing the framework for what the 5G physical and data link layers look like. Um, but uh, we are probably at least a year away from having a draft standard of what that actually looks like. Um, some of the initial reports indicate that it's going to look a lot like 4G, just shifted up to higher frequencies. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if any new uh, and innovative technologies make their way into the standard in the coming months. With this um, millimeter technology, we're going to have to have a, a lot more towers, right? This is, uh, there's, a, there's a range issue at these frequencies. Oh, definitely. Uh, current 4G technology can uh, penetrate walls fairly well, um, and it can go reasonably long distances, upwards of a kilometer or two, or the typical design ranges for cell towers. Uh, in urban areas, they're obviously less than that, just because of the density of users. Um, millimeter wave technology is, is designed for even shorter ranges than that, uh, and in particular, because up at these higher frequency ranges, uh, the signals can't propagate through walls. In fact, uh, some of the 5G frequencies can't even go through a piece of paper. Um, <laughs> So as a result, there's a lot of research underway, particularly in outdoor environments, looking at how 5G signals would uh, work in a, in a dense urban environment and uh, how it would reflect off concrete buildings and, and things of that nature. Uh, and then if you look at the indoor deployments, uh, you probably need a 5G base station in nearly every room in order to provide systematic coverage uh, in an indoor environment. Um, so figuring out how to do that and what the backhaul looks like, is, uh, these are all major research questions that are still underway. But then the upside would be higher speeds, right? Oh, yeah. Orders of magnitude increase in data rates. Um, so the, the actual deployments of 5G are likely to be incremental, where you're going to have sort of a base code of 4G coverage everywhere. Uh, and then if you're in a, in a 5G area, you may see 10 to 100x faster data rates, um, but it would be in sort of a hotspot sort of environment where you're only getting coverage in, in these limited areas, uh, which then necessitates uh, new data models where maybe uh, your mobile device can download and cache content on an anticipatory basis uh, when you happen to be in one of these very high data rate zones. All right, interesting stuff. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
My guest today is Peter Galvin, Vice President of Strategy at Talus eSecurity. They recently published the federal government edition of the Talus Data Threat Report for 2017, Trends in Encryption and Data Security. I think there were three big takeaways from that report. The first takeaway was really how at risk the federal government or federal and civilian agencies feel against cyber threats, hackers, and nation states. And, And really the biggest area they were concerned about when it came to hackers were really cyber criminals. So as much as we hear a lot today about nation states and nation states being the the, the biggest concern, the area that we actually found that they were most concerned about, like most uh, organizations, were uh, were cyber criminals. The second area was that um, these organizations are looking at lots of new technologies and looking at adopting them pretty quickly. So the, the federal government has been promoting for both these civil and, and, and defense agencies the use of, you know, things like cloud technology, IoT, and containers, which is part of the DevOps revolution, and and how they're adopting those. And and the concerns, you know, there are high concerns about using uh, security in those areas. And I think the the third area of of interest was that in the federal government, budgets are growing around for cybersecurity. But the biggest concern has, the biggest thing that we found out was that of all the other verticals that we looked at, um, and so we looked at, for example, healthcare, retail, financial services, um, the increases in the uh, the federal budgets for cybersecurity were among the lowest, although fairly significant um, in their budget increases. And I think what's what's interesting about that federal government is they're they're moving from many very old systems with reduced staffing levels. You know, they're one of the biggest areas where cyber criminals are going after them. So those were the big three takeaways from the report that that we saw. One of the report's findings is that the risks to federal data is very similar to the risks to data in commercial environments. I think there are only so many nation states. And so I think that, um, you know, cyber criminals see the federal government as as another big area where they can find sensitive data or personal identifiable information or either personalized identifiable health information. Um, and so I think that cyber criminals look at that as a way to be able to, wow, if I can break into some of these systems, um, there's some very valuable information that I can get and, and sell on the dark web. I think, you know, why the federal government, federal government agencies face so much more um, security threats is that they're, it's just not the cyber criminals but it's also um, nation states who are trying to um, find out, you know, secrets about the government or secrets about how agencies work or travel habits of agencies, et cetera. And so they have a, an additional threat. And then the third, the third threat that you don't have um, as much in the commercial world is really the hacktivists, right, who are um, going in and thinking they're doing some kind of civic duty by hacking into private information and leaking that information to um, uh, to the rest of the world. So I think they have similar vulnerabilities when it comes to cyber criminals, but they also face you know additional you know additional threats w- from nation states and hacktivists, which a lot of commercial em- enterprises don't face as much of that that pressure. And and so the other encouraging thing is that we have seen year over year that people believe that encryption is is what will meet their privacy requirements um, and allow them to safely expand some of these new technologies. So 
as organizations are looking at um, these new technologies around, you know, cloud computing, IoT, mobile, and containers and DevOps type of activities, the one technology that now is coming out more strongly is encryption because they believe that encryption will help them uh, protect against these data breaches, that even if the data um, is breached, if somebody accesses that data, that data is encrypted and those organizations, that information is still protected um, from those cyber criminals or those nation states that might, uh, that might attack them. And one of the things that we found out is that when we talk to the federal government about what do they think are some of the top three data security controls that agencies can implement over this next year, especially as they're moving to the cloud, uh, almost half of them said tokenization, which was, okay, take that information and tokenize it so that it's not in the clear and use that token as a method of being able to authenticate identity or, or uh, purchase something. And then the second aspect is really use cloud gateways or cloud encryption gateways so that anything that's leaving your premise, premises and going to the cloud is automatically encrypted and then also using encrypted services within in the cloud. And so I think there is a, a, a realization that is happening across the federal government and the federal agencies that uh, one of the missing pieces in making sure that they're securing their environment is using encryption. So, you know, essentially to use encryption, you need to figure out where your sensitive data is and then make sure you're encrypting that data and using the, the right policies and procedures for people to access that data. That's Peter Galvin from TALUS eSecurity. The name of the report is TALUS Data Threat Report 2017, Trends in Encryption and Data Security, Federal Government Edition. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.